Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He was faster with the ball than most guys were without the basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, and his that's hard to direction. deal with. Yes. His, so I get asked all the time, who are the most difficult guys in the league to guard? You know what it is? And I know you can attest to this. It's the guys that have freedom. Welcome to Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS by some of my Laker teammates and some of the Laker legends. And today we have Antonio Daniels with us, a big time player with the San Antonio Spurs. And we're going to get into a little bit of your background. How you doing, man? I am blessed, Coop. Thanks for having me. What up, Ari? What up, AD? How are you, brother? I'm good, man. (laughs) So, Ari, go ahead and start us off, man, with your boy. Well, you know, Coop, AD and I used to host a a radio show together in in San Antonio for a couple of years. So, um, So we go go way back. Yeah, Yeah, Ari, go way back. Where is way back? Um, Back to San Antonio, ESPN, ESPN Radio. Okay. All right. All the right. hard line with Antonio Daniels. The hard line. That's right. <laughs> but I mean, look, AD. I, I, I mean, your story. You know, we go back in time. I mean, you grew up inner city Columbus, mm-hmm. and you and your brother growing up together. You kind of, you guys loved basketball, played together, and that's that's right. where your love for the game and your drive to play in the NBA started. Was was growing up in Columbus, Ohio, with your brother, Chris. Yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously a different generation now we didn't have ipads and internet and uh ps4s and all these other kind of stuff we had an imagination and we had a basketball and a basketball court that was it so that's what we did all day as long as we were home when the street lights came on my mom didn't care go out go play go hoop when the street lights come on you need to be back home and you're right all right that is where um my love of basketball came from obviously watching the NBA uh, in the eighties and nineties, watching Coop, watching magic, watching those Lakers teams, bird, Jordan, all of those guys. Um, Isaiah Thomas was my favorite NBA basketball player at that time growing up. And um, just, just loving the game, talking about one day getting our mom out the inner city um, and having an opportunity to, to get her a nice house and get her a nice car. Um, so yeah, that, that that's and that's what this game is all about. And especially when you're not being paid for it and there's no business involved, it's about love, it's about passion. And then once you start to get to college, and now the business aspects start to take over. And then once you get to NBA, now the business aspects start to take over, then your priorities change a little. But we're gonna go back, A D, and I'm gonna go back to before the priorities became a big thing. And I wanna go back to you remember you just talked about you being in before the lights, you had to come home, mm-hmm. your mom said you'd be there. Okay. 
who was that one player that you would have stayed out a little bit later that was kicking your butt on the court? That one guy, for me, it was a guy named Raymond Lewis out here. I just couldn't beat this guy. And the guy was like five, seven, eight inches shorter than me, but a very good basketball player. Who was that player playing on the playground with you? Mine was my brother. And we were, we were 16 months apart, but we were so different because at the time of his passing at the University of Dayton, he was six foot 11. He was wow. six foot 11, 260, 270. You know, I'm six foot four. So and I learned so much by constantly getting my butt beat. Constantly, I, there's nothing I can do to beat him because he was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. He was taller than me. He was more experienced than me. But it taught me so much about adversity. It taught me how to lose. It taught me how to put air under my shot because I was so accustomed to playing against someone that was bigger than me. So I learned so much from playing against him. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. To this day, being 45 years old, I can never remember. I can never say, like, man, I remember this time where I beat my brother because I don't know if I ever have. And so, A.D., it's, it's so safe to say that, like me, I used to leave my ass kickers on the schoolyard. You got Yours got brought home. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, yes they, they did. They got brought home. And into the night, if there were uh, two significant things, and I know you said your brother passed away, was there two significant things that he taught you, uh, let's say first basketball-wise, and second about being a positive, productive uh, black man in our society? Two things. Uh, basketball wise, what I learned from him is, um, like how to handle, handle adversity. And I'm not talking about, uh, the adversity that happens on the basketball floor. I, I mean, like initially his freshman year in, in high school, he didn't play, but then he worked his butt off and eventually became the, one of the best players in the city and one of the best players in the state. Then he goes to the university of Dayton and tears his ACL his freshman year and he doesn't play eventually end up working his butt off and becoming an NBA prospect by the time he was a senior in college. So I guess those would be the two things, like how to handle adversity and then a work ethic. Like he worked extremely hard. And I think we learned that from my mom. I, I tell my mom to this day, and it's something that I can pass on to my children outside of the love that I have for the Lord is my work ethic. I want them to work and understand because sports is temporary. It's going to come a time where this ball is not bouncing anymore. Your work ethic will follow you wherever you go in any occupation that you go into. The preparation that you put into being successful, how hard you work, how important is it? All these things are things that I learned from watching my brother, watching my mom, and watching my two older sisters as well. But my mom passed away last year. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it was it was like a slow thing. But the one thing, how I was able to handle her passing for me is I, my family has been very religious. I may not sound like it, but I am very, very spiritual. The one thing that I was helped me overcome and uh, not have her around is uh, the little things about having faith. And faith is something that cannot be seen, touched, or, or smelled, but you just have to right. have how uh, that's the one thing that got me over the hump and still carries me because I miss her every day. What has it been for you? Who we. I think the one thing that what really, okay, two things. Cause first when, when my brother passed, I was 20, 21 years old. So I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time. So basketball was my sanctuary. You know, uh, I, I, I stayed in the gym. 
I stayed in the gym. It, this happened my junior year in college. And my senior year in college, when my senior year started, I was ranked like the 80th on the draft board. And by time my senior year was over, I ended up going fourth in the NBA draft. You know, just the, the incline throughout the course of my senior year, but that all stemmed from the work that I had put in in my junior year in the summertime. Because to keep my mind off my brother and to put some context behind this, my brother was the closest person I was to on the face of the earth. So what, what could I do to possibly keep my mind off of his passing at every time when I was by myself? So what I did is I stayed in the gym. Coach Larinaga, who's now at the University of Miami, gave me a key to the gym. I used to sleep in the locker room. All I did was shot, dribbled, um, you know, played imaginary one-on-one, all of these other kind of things. All I did was basically honed it on my skills, but basically to keep my mind off of becoming depressed because of the passing of my brother. Listen, do you think uh, uh, with that work that you put in, that you feel that, and now you have that opportunity to play in the NBA, that you carry him with you and would do all the things that he would like to do in the NBA? Always. And and, uh, there's a reason I wore number 33. You know, I was number 10 my entire life, for my entire career, all the way up in high school, middle school, AAU, uh, all of my freshman year in college, my sophomore year in college, my junior year in college, February 8th, 1996, when my brother passed from that day moving forward, I went in number 33 to represent him and carry him with me in any and everything that I did every time I stepped on the basketball floor. Uh, you get picked by Crazy. Vancouver. Who were some of the people you had to beat out to, get, to stay on that team? Um, who was there then? We were really bad. I'll, I'll tell you that up front. We were really bad. So, you know, usually if, you know, if you get drafted in a lottery, you're not getting drafted to a, a championship. Of course. Yeah. You know, uh, I believe that year we were 19 and 63 or 18 and 64. So it, the amount that I learned from my rookie year, and being in Vancouver with Lee Mayberry, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Big Country Reese, Blue Edwards. Who was the coach? Who was the coach, A.D.? Brian Hill. Okay. Brian Hill was the coach. Uh, Anthony Peeler. Um, Tony Massenburg. Oh, he's, a, he's a pip. Anthony Peeler is a pip. <laughs> oh, oh, A.P.? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so with those guys, so basically in a matter of two years, really one year, I went from one of the worst teams in the NBA. That summer, I got traded to San Antonio and went from one of the worst situations in the NBA. But I learned so much from being on that team to going to a situation with Avery Johnson, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr, Terry Porter, Jerome Kersey, God rest his soul, uh, Danny Ferry, you know, um, all of these other guys, Bruce Bowen, these champions that – taught me what it meant to be a professional athlete. And a top-notch coach. Right. I I didn't learn that in Vancouver. There's a lot of bad habits that I picked up in Vancouver. And if I can go back and do it different, now I understand the situation a little bit more. But then to go to San Antonio, I know that the Lord has a plan for everything. And there's a reason that I got traded to San Antonio, which is home today, which is where I met my wife and where my three kids and my wife and I reside today. So um, that was a great situation for me to get traded to San Antonio just because of what I learned, what I was able to, to take in. That would eventually end up helping me throughout the course of my professional career. But you know what, A.D., I'm a firm believer in this. Uh, 
our higher power and our mind have to be the Lord Jesus Christ puts you in situations to get ready, get you ready for, sure. for something great. And I think that's the same situation with you. So you were in San Antonio and uh, what was it like playing for pop? Um, hard, but I don't say that in a bad way. Hey, have you heard of masterclass? Masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. You can learn how to develop your basketball skills from Steph Curry. Improve your backstroke on the tennis court from Serena Williams. Or learn some piano techniques from the man himself, Herbie Hancock. With over 75 different instructors across tons of categories, there is literally something for everyone. Whether you're interested in sports, music, game design, or cooking, there's a master class for you. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every master class. And as a Showtime with Coop listener, you get 15% off the annual all access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash Showtime. That's masterclass.com slash Showtime for 15% off master class. What was it like playing for pop? Um, hard, but I don't say that in a bad way. He is, he demands the most out of you. You know, he doesn't allow you to take shortcuts. He wants you to be the best version of yourself. On our, on our telecast tonight, um, I, I talked about Pop and how much I respected him so much more when I left. It's almost like a parent that, and now I can understand this, being a parent, there are certain things that you have to say to your children and do to your children that you don't like, but you understand in the long run that it will be beneficial for them. You know, and I, I didn't understand that at the time. At the time, it was like, gosh, it's my second year, I'm 22 years old. Like, God, this guy is all over my back all the time. Like, gosh, he'd be like, give me a break, you know, and now I get it. Now I understand it. And when I went to other situations, whether it's in Seattle or whether it's in Washington, you know, I went to other situations and I understood the structure. I understood how hard he was on uh, the little things, the attention to detail, all of these things that when you go to other situations, maybe that wasn't there. So I, I appreciated Pop and the greatness of Pop, obviously so much more when I left San Antonio and went to a different situation. Well, and then now you you understand because I've only played for one organization, and uh, Pat Riley was like my coach. I had the uh, two before him, but you understand why teams like that. When you get a coach that understands attention to detail, you see why they're always making the playoffs or they're winning championships. I want to ask you, Coop. Did you, in the way he described Pop, did you hear some similarities to the way Pat Riley was? Oh, the same way, Pat Riley. Yeah, and I mean the one thing, uh, and I'm pretty sure. AD can say this too. Riles would never let the star player slip. If Magic, yes, sir. if Kareem, if Worthy did something, he on them just like he's on us. Yeah. He held them accountable. So when that situation, so accountability flows from the top. When he and, did and, it to them, then when we're on the court, Magic them did that to us. And then when guys came and I came and our, our bench players would come in, hey, this is what we're doing out here, man. Get it done. So uh, I can understand that. And, and again, to, an, to answer your question, Ari, yes, it was. But AD, to you, what did team mean to that organization? Is that something that's important? Because with the Lakers, team meant a lot to us. And, and, and you just brought up a great point, Coop, because 
the one thing that I will remember, when I got traded to San Antonio, and it was a, it was a lockout year, 98-99. So our first practice, our first practice, I will never forget. Pop tore David Robinson and Tim Duncan a new one. A new one. And I'm not talking about like, hey, you know what, you guys need to rotate. I'm talking about cursing the two best players on the team out. The one of them is one of the best players of all time in David Robinson. And Tim Duncan had just won NBA Rookie of the Year. So my thought process was, man, if he is ripping into those two for not making the correct defensive rotations, and I'm the seventh guy, I better not miss that rotation. But what really stood out to me about David, Tim, Mario, uh, Avery, Sean Elliott, anytime they got ripped, it wasn't what Pop said. It was the way they responded. Yeah. Because that set a tone for everyone else. There's a trickle-down effect. If you, your top player never gets ripped, you, use your, you lose your locker room. Yeah. If yeah. your top player doesn't respond in a professional manner, it's a matter of time before that takes a toll on the coach and you, and you lose your locker room. Yeah. If your top player responds in a professional manner and he basically says, you know what, you're right, I got it. Now, me coming off the bench, I understand that that there is the standard that has been set. And that's what, when you say team, that's what team was all, the San Antonio is all about team. It's all yep. about sacrificing culture. It's a culture. It's a sacrificial culture. You give up yourself for what's best for this team. So you finally get there. You understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you fit into your role on the team? Or was your team kind of like slowly massaged into what you were going to be? Because I know with the Lakers, I wanted to be a starter. And Pat Riley came, well, first started with Coach McKinney. He was like, Coop, I don't need scores. I need a defensive player. And following that, that's what Pat Riley said. So he was like, Coop, listen, I want to start you, but you're, you will best serve the team coming off the bench and being a defensive player. Tell me about your role. You know what I learned in this league, Coop? What we think and what we want doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Like, I can come in and say, man, listen, I want to start. I want to start. I want to average 30 points a game. What I think and what I want was irrelevant. Um, I, in my situation, I got massaged into my role. Because when I first got there, you know, your, your minutes are up and down. You know, you kind of got to, you kind of got to learn to sit back and watch a little bit. Um, but then my second year there, my third year there, my fourth year there, then I started playing, you know, in between 25 and 30 minutes a game. So I really felt a part, a part of something. Um, and I understood what they needed and wanted out of me. You know, I, defense was, was my thing. Like you just said, you know, there were games where I started where I started on Kobe Bryant or I started on Vince Carter. I started on Tracy McGrady. These guys that are four or five, six inches taller than me and excellent athletes. So I understood with Pop, and it's still that way today. I talked about DeJounte Murray today on our broadcast. His defense is so far ahead of his offense, but if you're in a great Popovich system, that's the way you want it to be. Your offense will eventually come. If the defense is there, you are going to put yourself in a position to play. So I understood, okay, you know, you got Tim Duncan. You got um, David Robinson. You got Sean Elliott. You got Mario Elliott. You got a whole bunch of guys that can score. And this isn't the old – this isn't today's NBA where he's putting up 130 points a game and 120 points a game. 
in the NBA Finals in 99, no one scored over 100 points once. Yeah. So it's not really about scoring. It was about getting stops. So I understood to get minutes in the San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich system, I had to sit down defensively. I heard that. And we're going to get into that young team that you just talked about, DeJounte Murray. I like that kid, man. But before mm-hmm. we do that, we're at a point in the round where I like to call it Coop's Lightning Round. And I'm going to ask you five questions, oh, <laughs> I think. And you can just give me a little bit or you can go on a little bit. Don't go on too much, but just give me something about <laughs> it. Okay. okay. Quickly. Your first person, Tim Duncan. I know you talked about it a little bit. Give me some more. Tim Duncan. I, I, okay, I'm going to make it nice and quick for you. Tim Duncan, in my opinion, is the greatest teammate in professional sports history. George Gervin. Ice. Um, <laughs> one of the most underrated players in NBA history. I don't know about underrated. That fucker was pretty no, good. No, because if, if you look at his stats, if you look at his stats, he yeah, does yeah. not get enough credit for what he did. Mm-hmm. Like, overall, as a flat-out scorer, Man, that dude. That, oh, yeah. yeah you get it. Okay. So I know you kind of went around, walked around when you are in San Antonio. The Alamo. Extremely disappointed. <laughs> I, man, listen. Coop, when I first got down to San Antonio, I cannot wait to see the Alamo. So your thought process growing up in school was, oh, this is where the battle took place and so on. And you go, and that thing is so little, you're like, I read history books and I sat in class and learned about the battles that took place at the Alamo for this. Yeah, extremely disappointed. To say <laughs> they did. They had that small space, man. They were firing out of there. But okay. I didn't know that at the time. When I'm reading that in my history books, I had no idea. I was so okay. incredibly disappointed when I saw the Alamo. All right, the uh, next person, David Robinson. Um, <laughs> maybe the nicest guy on the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Still today, you know, uh, we used to talk about that when we were on the floor with him. Um, and he is a perfect example of what he represents off the floor. You know, he, he represents uh, and un- unapologetically walks with the Lord. And when he steps on the floor, he's still walking. You know, uh, he may be... That, that was- A.B., he's like uh, A.C. Green. He's turned the other cheek. <laughs> Always. And that used to make Mario Ellie, that used to make Avery Johnson, they used to get under their skin a little bit, almost to the point where they were like, look, you got to hit back. And at the time, I didn't understand, and I was thinking the same thing because I wasn't walking with the Lord either. Like, yeah, hit back. And David just, <laughs> again, he would just walk and stay in his lane. He'd never allow people to deter him from his ultimate journey. Do you ever get a chance to hear him play the piano? He's an accomplished pianist. No, I worked out with him uh, during the pandemic. Him and his son. I worked out with his son uh, a lot during the pandemic. And he didn't play the piano for you guys? No, I don't have a piano in my garage. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It is good, though. Last one. Last one. Avery Johnson. My man. I love. (laughs) I love. I I got so many stories about that. (laughs) Tell us one. God, tell us one. I'll give you a quick one. Um, when we were in Houston, uh, which is where Avery lived at the time, and Avery had got a new car. He had got an S550. We were at the Houston practice facility playing with the Rockets, and, and Avery pulls up in his new Mercedes. So 
I, I, I still, to this day, I still clown Avery as much as I, I love him to death. And he pulls up in a, in a black Mercedes Benz with like 22, 23 inch rims on it. And I, he gets out of the car and I give him a hug. I'm like, man, I see you. I call him six. I see you six. Man, that, that Mercedes is nice. And he turned away and he turned back and said, yep. And I'm still with Jesus. <laughs> and I I lost it. I lost it. I I I I tell um, Colin Sexton when we played them. I said I have no idea how you can possibly play basketball for Avery Johnson because everything that comes out of his mouth, especially when he's upset. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, uh, you know, work, I coached in the big three, and he did something uh-huh. for us. So it was yes. very nice to be back around Avery. One of the nicest guys and, and truly astute about the game of basketball. So, yeah, right, you right on the head, okay? Uh, AD, who was the best player you played against? See, this in is a NBA. tough one because it, it's, it's – it's a difference between the best player that you played against and the most difficult to guard. The best player who's I played against who, Let's Jordan. go. Who's the most difficult to guard first? Um, I'll give you two guys. Okay. I'll give you two guys for me. Because the, the, the regular answer would be Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. And yep. the thing that made them so difficult to guard for me was how high they elevate on their jump shot. Mm. So you can keep them in front of you. But then once they establish where they're going to stop and pop, they're in the gym by themselves. So I can have my hand right here, but if you can continue to elevate over my hand, (laughs) I'm I'm irrelevant. I am completely irrelevant. So you have those two. But then you have guys like Allen Iverson and Stephon Marbury. I tell people all the time. Sports keep coming back. So does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball has finally returned this summer as it's in full swing and there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. As sports start to return, BetOnline has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Ory, seven-time NBA champion, and Harold Reynolds from Major League Baseball to get their opinion on what it will be like playing without fans and what they have called fandemic. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. But then you have guys like Allen Iverson and Stephon Marbury. I tell people all the time. Sports keep coming back. There are three guys that in the NBA that the TV doesn't give guys justice. Mm-hmm. So what you How say is, oh, you are. know what? That guy is okay. You know, that guy's this. One of them is Shaquille O'Neal. People will never understand how truly dominant that man was and how difficult he was to play against. LeBron James, his size, his strength, his athleticism, his explosiveness, and his basketball IQ, and Allen Iverson. He was faster with the ball than most guys were without the basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, and his know, that's hard to direction. deal with. Yes. His, so I get asked all the time, who are the most difficult guys in the league to guard? You know what it is? And I know you can attest to this. It's the guys that have freedom. It's yeah. the guys that have the ultimate amount of freedom. You, can you imagine what it's like to guard James Harden today when he can come <laughs> down and shoot the ball 10 straight times with, with no consequence? Allen Iverson was so difficult to guard because he was so fast. 
this wasn't this era where you weren't, you can, you know, it was better to be quick as opposed to strong. At that time, you like to use your body against him, but you can never find him. Stephon Marbury, his ability to not play around with the basketball, get from point A to point B, low shoulder to the ground, and elevate. So for me, it would have to be those two guys. Allen Iverson, number one, and Stephon Marbury, number two. That's a, that's a good crew right there you got. Uh, listen, uh, uh, we talked about basketball. Now I want your analytical point of view about this, okay? Mm-hmm. Growing up, what did you think of the Lakers-Celtic rivalry? The, okay. The honest answer? Hey, hey, you got Michael Cooper here. You, you ain't <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give now. you the honest answer. <laughs> it, I love the physicality. Yeah. But it was boring. And the reason I say it was boring is because it was going to be you guys or Boston every year. <laughs> so it was like, oh, my gosh, the Lakers and Boston in the finals again. Next year, Lakers and Boston in the finals again. So who are you year. rooting for? Oh, I was definitely rooting for the Lakers. Oh, okay, all right. You well, they, come on. Say now. that, that <laughs> until Until you guys played the Detroit Pistons. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah Thomas listen. was my favorite player growing up. AD, listen. In 1988, we got that ass. And I tell you, <laughs> 1989, 1989, and that Byron Scott and, and Magic Johnson went down in ham, they would have never have won a championship. Never. <laughs> but you know what? I'm with you. Isaiah Thomas, that boy gave me 25 on a bad ankle. So I and you know what? And he what didn't play the next about game. A guy that has no conscience out on the floor and can score. Those are the hardest people to guard. Yeah, I, I loved. I, I had a little. I had a little white T-shirt, and I had little iron-on letters that had Zeke on the back. Like I used to love Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Ad, uh, now working with the New Orleans Pelicans, doing television broadcasts there. So, I mean, what do you think about what's going on inside the bubble right now in terms of the basketball games, competition, that kind of stuff? Like, just how well, you first and foremost, Ari, um, I give the ultimate amount of credit to Adam Silver, the NBPA, and the Brain Trust. Because they got this right. And if you go back three months or so, I remember doing our our SiriusXM radio show and thinking, like, I don't don't see this happening. It's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through from testing to how do you keep guys in there to quarantining guys or what happens if one guy gets a – comes up positive, you know, all these other things. What are the games going to look like? Are you telling me that you have the world's best athletes in a gym with no one, Giannis versus LeBron, and it looks like an 8 o'clock a.m. AAU tournament? Like, just the visual entertainment and not understanding and knowing what it was going to look like. So now, now you fast forward three months later, and the entertainment aspect of it is awesome. The camera angles. If you did not know, there, you would think that there were fans at games. Right you now. would not know that I NBA that. fans right. were not allowed in games. Even the digital board has been kind of cool because it's giving exactly. it that fan atmosphere a little bit. Yeah, the, the, the virtual fans, um, all of these other, like, and it's so innovative and creative. And, and that's what um, this pandemic has brought. It has took, taken everybody out of their comfort zone and forced us to visit and view things in a way where we never would have any other way. You know, um, to the competitive level is that a, the competitive nature is at an extremely high level. These games are coming down to overtime, double overtime, and these are some teams that aren't even that have already established their their playoff positioning. 
So I, I really, I, I take my hat off to Adam Silver and the, the, the brand trust in the NBA. They got this right all the way around. And Andy, you know, we talk about crowning a champion this year and everybody and Ari and I have talked about this among other NBA people is about, okay, whoever wins, you want to put an asterisk on this. Not a chance. You know what? I'm with you. You don't put an asterisk on it. These guys are playing under some difficult situations, man. And it's hard to win a championship. To, to me, I, I remember hearing that a while, a while ago. And for me, whoever wins this championship deserves more credit than any champion in NBA history. Because wow. they're having to endure more yeah. than any eventual NBA champion had. There are no fans. There's no home court. Your family's not there. There's no travel. Um, all of these other – your quarant- think about this, man. America struggled to quarantine themselves at home for two months. Yeah. You aren't more comfortable anywhere in this world than in your own house. But Americans got so tired of being home that they said, you know what, we're going to march on state capitals because we don't want to be quarantined. But what we're telling NBA players is we want you guys to quarantine yourselves for two months in a hotel room. Right, not even at home. Not even at home. Right, right. So there are so many unforeseen circumstances that whoever the eventual NBA champion had to endure, I am not on board with it being asterisks. I feel like whoever is the eventual champion deserves more credit than any champion in NBA history. I agree with you. Uh, AD, talk about the Pelicans a little bit. you got a very, very, very good basketball team down there, Long, young team. you got Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, Josh Hart. Uh, Riddick might be on the outs a little bit. Brandon Ingram. He's a good shooter. You got Holiday. You got uh, Derek Favors, who I, one of my favorite players. I really like him. I wish he would be a little bit more aggressive. And Brandon Ingram. How do you see that team moving forward into the future? Well, I think you have to build on your youth and your potential. Because we have eight guys that are under 25 years of age. You know, you, it's a couple of guys you didn't name. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes those kind of guys as far as moving forward is concerned, um, you have to get more experience. And that's why these eight games were so incredibly important because whether or not you make the playoffs or not, these are playoff games. This is a playoff atmosphere. When you're playing in meaningful games that mean something, every one of these games has had a playoff feel to it. So experience is so important. Um, you have the pieces to build on with Zion Williamson, who I feel like is one of one in NBA history. Brandon Ingram, who's my most improved player this year. You know, uh, Lonzo Ball, who made incredible steps from October to March when the season was postponed. Now, he hasn't been great in the bubble in this, in this six games so far. But I think of who he was prior to, prior to the postponing. And he was yeah. really starting to come into his own. Josh Hart, who is sort of a junkyard dog that is willing to do whatever to win basketball games. Um, the future for this team is incredibly bright. But I'll say this. The future of this team also rests on the health and availability of Zion. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are a couple of things you think he needs to do if, say, this is their last game? Some of the things he needs to do to get ready for next year. Um. See, for me, you know, one of them is great. Got to get his conditioning better. Right. There's such a difference between the NBA and college yep. as far as your conditioning program yep. is concerned. In college, everyone conditions together. 
So as a team, you guys get up at six o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning and you have conditioning until 8.30, an hour and a half every single day for two straight weeks. Once you get to the NBA, no one's holding your hand anymore. Now you're on your own. So now these are things that you have to learn to do on your own. So I think that's the biggest thing. He's going to have to learn it because I didn't know at 20. At 20 years old, I had no idea. I didn't understand my body. I remember my rookie year after playing four years of college, eating McDonald's as a pregame meal. You know, there's so much that you don't know. And at 20 years old, there is so much that Zion doesn't know yet, but that he has to learn to understand. Listening to the right voices, being around the right people. Um, And I tell you, this is the thing I love about him. He's a great kid. Mm -hmm. He is a great kid. You know, extremely humble, big time family guy. That's why when they said he left the bubble for seven or eight days to attend to a family emergency, I understood. Yeah. Because you can't have a conversation with him without him talking about his mom, his little brother, or his stepfather. You know, he is very, very tight with his family. Um, so I think the biggest thing for him is to use this offseason. And remember, this is a quick offseason. Exactly. It's really short. It's real it's short. really quick. So you're talking about coming back in December. So you have the rest of uh, August, September, October, and November. You really have three and a half months. And for that three and a half months, it's a great opportunity to build up the strength in his knee that he has surgery on and get himself in the best possible NBA shape that he's been in. You know what? And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this outrightly, because some people say, well, uh, do is Coach Gentry the one to lead this team? I believe he is. Uh, Coach has done a great job under a difficult situation, not just saying the, the, the pandemic, but even before that, he got this team going in the right direction. He got them understanding what is important, which is keep a ball movement. And for first and foremost, on that defensive end, your thoughts? Um, it, it's, uh, it's so hard to tell. The thing that I love about Alvin and what people don't kind of take into consideration because it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment. You know, you see so many people get on social media and talk about this and that after the Pelicans lose a game. Remember what he brought this organization and franchise through a year ago, through everything that happened with Anthony Davis. You know, with Anthony Davis saying he wanted to be traded and the NBA telling Alvin Gentry, you know what, no, you have to play him. All these different things where you have different guys in the locker room that are kind of looking sideways. What are we doing? Where are we going? And he navigated this. Pelicans locker room through some through some treacherous waters. And now you end up with the first pick of the draft. And you end up with Zion Williamson. You get Jackson Hayes. You get Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Now you bring in David Griffin and Trajan Langdon, Swank Cash. So you have things that are heading in the right direction. Then Zion goes down. Then Zion goes down, and that changes the trajectory of everything. Yeah. Then Zion returns. And this team starts playing really, really good basketball. 18 games left. The easiest remaining NBA schedule, then the global pandemic hits. Now you are talking about a four-month hiatus where everybody has to hit the reset button. So um, I think Alvin's done a really good job of um, just dealing with difficulty because it has not been easy. You know, his job here with Anthony Davis and everything that happened there and then getting Zion and Zion being injured and in and out of the lineup, I think he's done the best that he can do with, with, with circumstances he's been given. Fantastic. AD, what you got going on in your life? Uh, this, I got, you know, Pelicans games, obviously, uh, Sirius XM NBA radio show. 
I have a, me and my wife just celebrated 16 years of marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Have a 14 year old daughter, a nine year old daughter. And my son is now two years old Um, to, to put it like just plain and simple. I am blessed for more than I deserve. You know what, AD, and I say, you know, we're in some very times that we probably will never see again. Let's hope that we don't. But the one thing I try to look at in the shining light of this is that as a player, and, I, you know, I'm on my second marriage and my first marriage, I was always gone. Never got to see the father-son, right. the father-daughter breakfasts or school things they did. Well, with this COVID, now I have on my second marriage, I have a 15-year-old son. I've been able to wake up in the morning and see him have breakfast Amen. with him, talk to him, have dinners as a family, see my wife, enjoy them. Those are some of the things that uh, I really cherish. And although we're un- in some crazy times, this is the good thing that I think about this time here is it brought us back together as a family. Yeah, it, it really forced um, all of us, and I know me in particular, my family, to slow down and um, reprioritize what's really important. Um, I, I am with you. Now, I, this whole four months, I wasn't supposed to be home. But now I get an opportunity to put my son to bed every day, to yep. wake up with him every day. My daughters, they didn't have to go to school, so they're at home. So now I get more daddy-daughter time, you know, almost too much daddy-daughter time. Now I'm telling myself, when are y'all going back to school? <laughs> is what I'm telling myself. But I, I, I'm yes. with you. Like, it really has... Slow down. You go, you slow down. <laughs> right, right. It really has forced us to to slow down and and truly recognize, you know, me and my wife, when I was at home, we would get up every morning at between six and six 30 and do our devotion and read and pray together. Like it just slowed the world down and, yeah. and it refocused all of us to what's really important because everything was taken away from us. Everything was taken away. We had no, and no entertainment. There was no sports. You couldn't even go to church. You couldn't go to the mall. You know, there, you couldn't go to the gym. Everything was taken away from us. So when everything is taken away from you, what do you turn to? And I know for us, it really brought our family so much closer together. Yeah, AD, who do you have winning the title this year? I think it's the Lakers? No, I had the Clippers. So in the beginning of the year, I did. And and I had this. In the beginning of the year for SiriusXM, you have to fill all this stuff out. You know, who's your MVP? uh, Who's your most improved player? All these different things. And I had Milwaukee and the Clippers in the finals with the Clippers winning it all. Well, AD, I want you to know something. You damn wrong, baby. The Lakers (laughs) about to show you something, man. They about to show you what they made of. And AD, listen. (laughs) I already know. That was a setup question. I know what. I know what. Okay, so, 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 okay, come on, Ari. So tell me what's the next question. Who do I have as the MVP? Yes. Is that the next question? Yes. Cool. Who you got as the MVP? Let LeBron James. LeBron James. Who you think? Hey, cool. Who do you have as the visit player of the year? Let me <laughs> guess. Davis. Who you think? <laughs> <laughs> hey, AD. Thank you so much, man, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Not gonna hold you up any longer. You've been listening to Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS by my Laker uh, teammates and NBA guests around. A.D., appreciate you. Stay safe, man, and hope to see you soon, sir. For sure. God bless you guys, man. Thank Thank you. Thank you.